morning church Um, we're in james chapter 4 faith in action we've been making our way through the book of james there are bibles underneath the chairs in front of you if you don't have one uh, and you haven't brought one along uh, you can grab one of those james is about um if you get to the middle of the new testament you find a big book hebrews it's the next book james chapter 4 starting at verse 1 james the brother of jesus writes What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers, but the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the gift of this day. Thank you for the gift of your word, for the gift that you pour out, your spirit that opens up our hearts and our minds to the truth of the word and to the power that you provide through gifts and the fruit of the spirit. So, Father, we would ask once again this morning that you would do your work among us and in us. Shape us, mold us, fill us. Lord, empty me of myself and fill me to overflowing, Lord. Give me strength today to preach. And may these words, Lord, that you have given, Lord, do their work in each and every one of us. Strengthen us, fill us, guide us. Empty me of myself and fill me with your spirit overflowing that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart might be acceptable in your sight for you are our strength and our salvation. And all God's people say, Amen. Well, when describing uh, the last days in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, there will be wars and rumors of war. And because wars are constantly happening, it's led generations to imagine that perhaps they were in the throes of the last days, right? There's always a war happening somewhere. We are a broken, sinful, warring people, and that is painfully evident um, when you turn on the news. (laughs) Wars and rumors of war flood our nightly news, and we used to say that, kids, nightly news. Now we just say every moment that your phone is on and it's beeping to you, these news updates, Wars and rumors of war. In our text, James, in essence, says you war with each other because you allow your desires and your jealousy to control you. In other words, wars happen because of sin. The letter that James writes is specifically addressing believers, however. This is specifically addressing the church. And though he makes general statements about the warring nature of human beings and the terrible wars that cause fight between nations, what James is really going after here in this letter is the warring that can happen within churches and within believers. 
the warring that injures our faith and our relationship and our witness. In the text, James has a message for the church, and though James can sound fairly harsh at times, his desire isn't simply to point out our faults or our, our warring tendencies. No, he wants us to be a healthy church, a healthy people in relationship with God and one another, with one another. His desire is to bring God's people to a place of peace and life. Yes, we have issues and brokenness is at work in us. Amen? Even Christians, even churches, we're not a perfect church, but there is an answer and there is hope and we can find peace. And though this letter is in many ways a corrective, right, a corrective, James wants to ensure that we walk in truth and that our witness is strong. And you see, this is also a letter of promise. There are two places in the reading for today that we hear that promise. God wants to and will draw near to us. He will exalt us. So let's dive in. Let's draw near to God and discover his goodness and his grace. In this letter, James talks about three different kind of wars that Christians, that the church, finds themselves in. Warring with other Christians. I mean, it's kind of an extreme term, warring here, but you know what I mean? Warring with other Christians, warring within themselves, within ourselves, and warring with God. So let's go from the external to the internal. That means we have to kind of start at verse 11 there, where James says, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. So he's speaking directly to the church, and he's talking about the conflicts that can happen within the church body, between believers. He says, let's not speak evil against each other. And we can see this in various places in the New Testament, that Christians struggle with relationships to one another. Isn't that surprising? You like everybody you come across? It's easy to be in relationship with everybody you meet, even Christians, right? See, we know that unity is one of the works of the Holy Spirit, that that's what the Holy Spirit does and, and seeks to accomplish within the church. And Jesus prayed for unity. We understand that God's desire is that, is unity and peace among his people for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of our witness. In some of the Apostle Paul's letters, this is written by James, but in some of the Apostle Paul's letters, we find him addressing these same sort of issues for believers, kind of issues at the core, right? In, in Corinthians, the church there in, in Corinth, Christians were suing each other in public. <laughs> and Paul is like, we can't be doing that, folks. They were claiming spiritual superiority, or, superiority over, over each other and causing hurt and division. In Galatia, followers of Jesus were arguing about what it looked like to be a follower. You know, did you have to become a Jew first and then become a... I mean, there was arguing around what that meant and how that functioned. Throughout, the, throughout Philippians, Paul encourages unity, saying, coming together in one spirit for the sake of the gospel. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, the apostle Paul says, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. In this letter that we have from James, James 4, he names four kind of really specific wars that happen within the reality of the believers, the church itself. And he addresses those four different kind of wars that are taking place among the believers. In, in James chapter 2, he talks about class wars or about economic wars, of kind of like this sense of he says, hey, if somebody walks in with a really nice robe and a ring, are you going to treat them differently? He talks about employment wars that happen where employees take advantage of their em, uh, employers, take advantage of their employees. Talks about that in James chapter 5. Talks about this church kind of battles within the church. 
among people in, John, in James 1 and in James 3. And he admonishes them to listen to one another. Remember the, the sermon last week? Anybody remember that? And he talks about this personal war between each other, speak well of each other, that we just talked about in James 4 here. It's clear that throughout Scripture, God is calling us beyond ourselves <laughs> to unity, and yet, sin is at work. Amen? The church today isn't immune to squabbles. We fall into worldly squabbles or disagreements, sometimes around petty things with each other. And it's not a great witness. Sometimes around theological things, and, and some of those are really serious, and we need to be aware of, of heresies and things that go against the gospel of Jesus Christ. But some of these things are, are really hurt our witness because they're not important enough to be really arguing and divided over. Whatever it is, James reminds us today of the importance of unity and peace among believers. And it becomes ever more clear to me that the unity and the peace that God calls us to is His work in us, right? Because we're broken, we falter, we fall. So the lesson from James has for us today is important because it's about God and our need for Jesus. Amen? It reveals our need for Jesus, even within the church. This isn't some, you know, little cling, magic, ding, you know, and then everything is, is easy and wonderful in the church and there's no division. And, yeah, we, we're... In fact, if you want to know where the devil is most active, it's where the Word of God is preached. That's the battle line. If you want to know where the, where the, where, where the devil is most active, and some of you know this in your life, you know, let me, let me, let me, you know, have you noticed that when you grow, starting to grow closer to the Lord, that all things, things get really difficult in your life? Have you ever noticed that? Trials and tribulations come, the devil doesn't want you close to the Lord. Doesn't want that. It becomes clear that this is a work of God. It's about God giving us this peace and giving us direction among these difficulties that we face with one another. These fights, this warring among believers occurs, as I stated, because of the age-old reality of sin that's at work in us, right? Sin that's at work in us. That's that second part of this warring. Talked about the one where we're kind of battling each other, but then there's this war that takes place in us. You ever feel that at times in your life? Do you ever feel the internal battle <laughs> that kind of is at work in you? Three of us feel that battle, right? Apostle Paul described this feeling, and he described it really well in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, when he said, I don't understand my own actions. <laughs> I, do not, I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate. <laughs> That's what I do. In James chapter 4, James gets at what's kind of going on underneath that statement, how this war of sin, this war within ourselves is happening. Look at James chapter 4 again, verses 1 through 3. He says, What's cause, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, you don't have, so you murder, you covet, and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, right? When you look at this scolding that James gives the church in these first verses, it sounds really pretty harsh, and James can sound kind of like, you know, like a school marm with a finger shaking at us, right? It sounds a little bit harsh, like seriously, you know, a murder, 
Really? Just seems too extreme. But we have to remember John's words from 1 John chapter 4, verse, verse 5, where he says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. <laughs> the truth is, is that sin does divide and kill. Anybody felt some killing words from people at times in your life? Right? So James here says the problem here is that Christians allow and give in to their passions, their desires, and their jealousy in ways that divide themselves from God and themselves from each other. They become selfish. It's selfishness, and it's divisive. It kills relationships, and it kills our witness. It's this selfishness that keeps our prayers from having full effect. Did you hear that in, in chapter 4 here, verse, chapter 4, verse 3? He says, your prayers are selfish. <laughs> They're all about you, what you want, what you're, to fulfill your passions. They aren't about God's plans and purposes. And i got to admit, sometimes I have to kind of put myself in check when I'm thinking of my prayer life. I think, how often am I just praying for, you know, the, the, the situations and the things that I, that I need or want or that I'm struggling with in my life, and, and, I, and I fail to pray the prayer that Jesus taught us, thy kingdom come, Lord, come, do your work. May we glorify you in all things, at all times, with all, in all ways. How often do we pray for the work of God to have its full effect? They become selfish. He says, you don't pray for God's will to be done through, in you and through you. And God isn't going to answer prayers that aren't going to bring you closer to him, right? Why would God want to answer a prayer that's going to take you away from him? Or give you some passion and desire of your heart that, that, that really is unhelpful. Amen? God won't honor prayers that divide us or seek to elevate you above somebody else or satisfy your sinful desires that bring worldly gains but that simply steal you away from Him. All of this, both the warring between Christians and the warring within ourselves, is about sin. Sin, simply put, is our flesh nature going against our spirit, the Spirit of God. Or as James puts it, seeking friendship with the world. Did you hear that? As opposed to seeking the Lord, His will, His grace, His love. Seeking relationship with Jesus. Verse 4, in James 4, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Wow. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. <laughs> like Peter, James warns Christians not to get too comfy with the world. Not to befriend it, which is kind of a, a, kind of a funny image. He warns us that we can get to be too intimate with the world in a way that undermines our relationship to God and one another. Yes, we live in the world. Yes, God calls us to go into the world with the gospel. But we aren't to be caught up in it, influenced and shaped by it, seeking the world's approval, chasing after what it offers. I know we all fall into that at times, seeking the world's approval. I mean, how many of us, and I don't have to raise your hand, how many of us are really kind of, you know, afraid of living out our Christian faith <laughs> publicly? You know, being a follower, 
in ways that people really see and understand, or sharing with somebody, or praying for somebody. We've allowed the world to really kind of shape that at times. Like, Dave, keep your mouth shut. The Apostle Paul will say in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't be conformed to the world. Don't be conformed to this world. In other words, don't be so friendly with the world that it starts to shape your thoughts and desires. Let God be the one that shapes your heart, your mind, and your life. Remember that song we used to sing, Break Your Heart, Break My Heart for What Breaks Yours? That's really what, what James is, is trying to say here and what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 12. Break my heart, Lord, for what breaks yours. Lord, give me the desire of your heart. I want my desires to be your desires. I want to seek pleasure in you. I want to seek relationship to you. I want to be friendly with you. It says, don't be conformed by this world, Paul says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24, the Apostle Paul says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed by the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. James says it really clearly in chapter 4, verse 5. He says, God is jealous. Did you catch that in chapter 4, verse 5? That he's jealous, he's passionate. He wants our spirits to be his. You look at verse 5 there in, cha in James chapter 4. I actually like the way the NLT, the, the, the um, NLT, the New Living Translation says it. It says there, God is passionate that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. Now, as much as it sounds like James is scolding us, his words are spoken to lead us towards faithfulness in life. <laughs> He's actually instructing us and pointing us towards peace with God. So how can we enter into that peace? Because it, it does sound like a little bit of a spanking here this morning. Okay, thanks very much, James, but give me something here. Well... How can we enter into it? What, what do we do about this warring that occurs and that we, that, we, that we confess is right about who we are? What do we do about it? How do we deal with this in our Christian life? Well, James tells us peace with God comes, if you look at the text, when we submit to God, when we resist the devil, when we draw near to Jesus, and when we humble ourselves before him. Those four things. That, those, that's James' instruction to us this morning. He says, submit to God, resist the devils, draw near to the Lord, and humble yourself. Submit, verse 7. Submit yourself to God. The word here for submit in, Greeks, in Greek means literally to, to place yourself under, under, to subject yourself to God. In other words, allow God to be the ruler, <laughs> to reign over your life. It's related to obedience, but it's sort of more like allow your rank to be lower than God's rank. How about let God be the general? You be a private. And, and in that then, of course, we take from God the lead, and obedience then becomes part of it. But it is about subjecting yourself, submitting to. Let the creator be the creator and you can be the creature. Let's let God be God. 
We hear this call in the prayer that Jesus taught us. Thy will be done. You be the Lord. This is the opposite of the selfish prayer spoken for personal gain that James speak of in the text earlier. Second, he says, not only submit yourself, but he says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. <laughs> We've all been there, haven't we? Tempted? Struggling? James, James gives us this. He says, don't give in. Don't give in. Fight it. You honor God in your resistance. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews, that's the book right before James. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 and 4. Here, uh, Paul gives us, the Apostle Paul gives us something to ponder in regards to our resisting of temptation. In, in, in Hebrews 12, verse 3, he says, Consider him, consider Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that they may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Ouch. <laughs> he says, hey, think about Jesus. He endured a lot. <laughs> He really went through, he might have been tempted to, you know, to really like come down off that cross and show him a thing or two, you know? He endured it. He was tempted. And you see right after the baptism of Jesus and he's, and he's led out into the wilderness by the Spirit and tempted in the Spirit with amazing temptations, right? But he endured. And so the Apostle Paul says, take, take that. Receive that. Get encouraged by that. Don't fall into that. Because you haven't, you haven't resisted it to the point of blood yet. Each day, aim for 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. That isn't just simply a, a life statement. That's a day-to-day -day statement for me. Amen? That's a day-to-day -day statement. That's a 12-step program statement. You know what I'm saying? Let's just make it through the day-to-day without completely destroying something <laughs> or getting so angry that I, I hurt my, the spirit of my children, right? You see what I'm saying? Like today, my desire, fought to fight, finished the race, kept the faith, resist the devil. He's going to tempt you with desires and passions, with worldly things. He will tempt you with doubt and anger and despair. He will tempt you to give up and to give in, but resist. Third, Submit, resist, third, draw near to God. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. <laughs> In my mind, I have this image of when my girls were little and something would happen that would kind of scare them on the, on the playground or out there in our day-to-day -day lives. And they would get overwhelmed and the first thing that they would do would be to run to me. Just run to me. I can still, Siri is like a, She's either asleep or she's like running a million miles an hour. When she was a little kid, I can still see her running, you know, crying about something and running down the gravel road and just like a rooster tail of dust behind her. Just run into me. The Lord calls out. He says, come, draw near to me. I'm drawing near to you. 
In those moments of fear or doubt or trouble or temptations, come, I will protect you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation he will always also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Run to Jesus. There was an old woman in church, and, and um, uh, the pastor said to her, you know, um, or she said to the pastor, I know the Lord has promised never to, to tempt me beyond what I can handle, but sometimes I think he thinks too much of me. But draw near to him. He will draw near to you. Do you hear the promise? He will. And finally, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will, here's the next promise, exalt you. Bow down, confess. In fact, in fact, James really goes into some stuff like, you know, grieve, mourn. And, and, and what he's, he's not talking about that we have to live our lives as Christians like, you know, downtrodden and weeping all the time. He's saying when you realize that something in your Christian walk has come against, has been warring against you and dividing you from, from the church or from the Lord or causing such turmoil within yourself that you feel lost, he says, he says come, weep it, confess it, let it go, and then be renewed. Let God exalt you. This action is one that God always, always honors. Do you know that? When we humble ourselves before God, He always honors and exalts us. Always. When you confess your sin, He will always forgive them. It's His nature. At a professor, a seminary professor, he loved to say, Jesus loves to do two things. Empty graves and forgive sins. <laughs> he loves to raise the dead and forgive the sinner. He will always. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, Peter writes, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Whenever we humble ourselves, we are submitting, resisting the devil, drawing near to the Lord, and in those moments, God is able to truly lift us up, to restore us and renew us. That's what exalting means. It literally means to lift you up. Anybody need to be lifted up this morning? All four of these encouragements from James are given to us to end the wars that take place and to have peace, submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to the Lord, humble yourself. All of these, in a very practical way, are done and accomplished by this. Prayer. Diving into the Word, being in a fellowship of believers, and praising God. Do you hear me? All of these things can come down to those four deals. <laughs> Praying, diving into the Word, calling on the faithful, walking with people, and praising God. Sin, the devil, it will always seek to divide and kill. It will always seek to keep wars happening within yourself, with you, between you and other followers, uh, between you and God. But we have prayer. <laughs> we can go to the Lord. We have the Word of God that is alive. Amen? That will instruct and encourage. It's one of the reasons why we need to just not be in it just on a Sunday morning, but be in it every, every day. Start to memorize a few verses so that you can have some, some uh, you know, it's called the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. 
so that you can, you can, have, you can have this sword when, when temptations come and you feel overwhelmed or despair or doubt and you can claim, you can name, you can speak the word of God over your life or over somebody else's life. It's power, amen? We have the name of Jesus, which is the name above every other name. It is a name of power. We can claim it. We can speak to Jesus. He hears us. We have the word of God. We have a fellowship of believers. That's why the church is so important, folks. It's not because it's an obligation. It's not because Pastor Greg and I are, you know, are, are, so, are so egocentric that we just want to, you know, we want a mega church. It's got nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that. I don't give, I don't give it. I don't care. What I care about is people coming into relationship with Jesus Christ and being healed and saved. Maybe God will meet you on the golf course. I'm not saying he won't. Maybe God will meet you in a fishing boat. I'm not saying he won't. But I do know where he's promised to be. Wherever two or three are gathered in his name, wherever the word of God is opened, wherever there is praise and prayer, he's there. Amen? He will show up. He will be here. This gathering, this church, the church that God has created on earth is a hospital for the broken. It's a training ground for the battle. It is a place of forgiveness and hope and life so that we can step beyond these doors. It's where we hear again and again the promise that the God of the universe wants to draw near to you and wants to exalt you and lift you up, wants to live with you and in you and through you. The Lord longs to exalt you, to give you abundant and eternal life. So we invite you to come today. And submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to the Lord, humble yourself before him, for he is near, and he is here to exalt and encourage and forgive and love you. You see, here's the truth. All the warring ends in him. So come and be lifted up Turn away from the world and turn your eyes to Jesus and come into his presence for there is peace. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that we are a, a broken, warring people at times, that there is a, a battle, but we know that in you the battle has been won, that there is victory. So turn our eyes to you, Father. As we open up the word together, reshape our hearts and our minds. Forgive us and fill us and send us, Lord. Strengthen us. Father, come, draw near. And lift us up. That as your people, Lord, we might bring your love and forgiveness and salvation to those who do not know that there is an end to the warring madness in Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. And all God's people say,